You're listening to Sermons at High Peak. When people are in high school and they get ready to graduate, often in the yearbook, they'll see what they call senior superlatives. You know, the most whatever. I wonder if any of you were named most likely to succeed or most committed or biggest clown or uh, most likely to uh, uh, get a date or whatever it is, all kinds of crazy things like that. And um, I found some interesting ones. And these are real ones that ended up in real yearbooks. In fact, these are real pictures. This is John Henry Weirman. He was voted most likely to run from glitter. That's interesting. I guess you had to know John Henry. Uh, Jacob Watkins was voted most likely to lose his head if it wasn't attached to his body. I know that uh, my kids probably would have deserved that. Uh, Alexis Reams was voted most likely to be asleep before 9 p.m. That's a, I, I know some people like that. Uh, Madison Glover is voted most likely to spend upwards of a million dollars, whether she had the money or not, on a pet unicorn if they were ever discovered. And Jared Snipes was voted most likely to sort of disappear from the face of the earth and then turn up somewhere as a millionaire. Now, that's actually a pretty good one, wouldn't it? I mean, that'd be neat if it came out to be true. You know, when you think about it, that last one is a compliment. And when you think of superlatives about people, that's what they were originally intended to be. Most committed, most dedicated, most intelligent, things like that. You are praising people. Nothing wrong with that. It's good to get some encouragement, isn't it? It's good to get someone giving you kind of a, an attaboy or an girl, a, you know, a little pat on the back emotionally. And while God doesn't need it, he knows we need to see him that way. And that's why he has called all of us to praise and worship the Lord, to give glory and honor to give him our superlatives. And you can think of lots of words. We could, each one of us, go around this room this morning if we had the time, and each one of us probably think of two or three different ways to describe God's glory and never repeat a single superlative. He's that great. He's that important. Now, we're quick to compliment some people. Have you ever noticed that, that you'll compliment people behind their back? Isn't that strange? Like I'll be talking to someone over here and I'll say, boy, that Jerry and Kay, or Jay and Carrie, as they wanted to be called, you know, that would work because either one of you could be Jay and either one of you could be Carrie, you know. My best friend married a Jay. He married a Jay and my, anyway. The, the point is, I could be saying, boy, did you hear that song? They sang it so wonderful. Man, they're dedicated. They're such sweet and kind people. They, and I could brag on them, but why don't we go to the person and tell them. And that's what worship is. It's telling God how great he is. But it's also helping one another see how great he is. That's what worship is when we gather together. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That verse tells us that our whole lifestyle ought to bring glory and honor to the Lord. No matter what you do, may it bring glory to God. Now, can you look at the things that you've done over just the last week 
and put a check mark next to all the things that have brought glory to God. And put a minus next to all the things that clearly did not bring glory to God. What would you have more of? Check marks or minuses? You probably look like some kids' test papers, you know, lots of red, not a whole lot of positive. Or maybe you would say, yes, I've been faithful this week. I, I have honored the Lord with my life, and that's a great thing. It's okay, brother, we love you anyway. <laughs> the fact is, our life begins and ends with the glory we give to God. Our discipleship, our, our relationship with the Lord. And so this morning, as we begin for the next four weeks talking about how to grow in your faith in Christ Jesus, how to grow in your discipleship, how to grow in your relationship with the Lord, how to grow in your relationship to the world around you, we're going to talk about that idea of worship. Worshiping in growing today. That's the beginning of it. We're going to talk about that. The idea of grow. And each one of these letters in grow is going to be a different thing. And the, we're going to begin with the last one, the W, the worship. And uh, we, put that up there for me, brother. Put the, the worship up there as we grow. That's what we want us to think about this morning. So now turn to the passage that you kind of thought I was going to do 1 Corinthians today, didn't you? Uh, turn to Psalm chapter 40. And I want us to look at verse 9 and 10 together. Psalm chapter 40, verse 9 and 10 together. This is a great psalm. We won't uh, spend any time in verses 1 through 8 or the rest of it. But, you know, it's a psalm that they kind of thought might have been two psalms at once. But, you know, they put them together. David maybe used part of it in a later psalm. All of that doesn't matter. What it matters today is I think that this is psalm, a psalm that David is saying, I worship you and so therefore I need you. And we won't get into it, but the second half of this is David crying out to God for help. But you know, the beginning of every plea for help from the Lord should begun, begin with praise. You ought to think about how great God is before you think about how he can and will help you. So let's look at Psalm chapter 40, verses 9 and 10. Stand in honor of reading God's word. Psalm chapter 40, verse 9 and 10. I'm reading from the New King James Version this morning. It says, I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord. You yourself know. It's almost like he was saying, God, you know that I love to praise you. And boy, if anybody praised the Lord, it was David, wrote a large portion of the Psalms. Verse 10, I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. Amen? You may be seated. This passage uses repetition and patterns to present an idea of praise of how God wants us to praise. And we see this in a little phrase that gets mentioned. What is the context of this praise? What is the, the place of this praise? And we see it in verse 9 when he talks about the great assembly. What is a great assembly? We also see it in verse 10 where he again mentions the second time the great assembly. What's a great assembly? Well, the idea of a great assembly was that they would call the people together 
for worship. A call to worship. Usually it was done in the form of a blowing a shofar. A shofar is a ram's horn. It's kind of a curly cue th- thing. Have any of you ever tried to blow a shofar? I'm telling you, it's hard. <laughs> I've got two in my office if you want to check it out. Uh, they promise they haven't been spit into in a long time. You can try it. Uh, but just trying to blow in that thing is really hard, especially real small ones like I have. But they would blow that shofar. Sometimes the Bible has translated it trumpets in the Old Testament. And that was the horn. That was the message, the signal. Hey, come together. Let's all gather in unity to worship. And so this is very much like what some of you experienced for the first time in a while, or maybe the first time ever this week. You went to school, didn't you? A lot of the Young people, the students had to go off to school starting on Monday this week. Some of you went longer ago if you're in college. But when you did that, I bet something that you heard either regularly throughout the day or at least at the beginning of the day was a bell. Everybody, come together. Time to have class. Do they still have something that sounds like a bell in your schools? I remember my high school, it was like, beep, and I hated that thing. You know, I'd much rather the bell. You watch the old TV shows, you know, and it's a real bell. And they cling that thing or they pull a a string. And that's the same thing. It's a signal to come together. Well, today, what's the signal to come together? Well, usually someone gets up in front of us and says, all right, let's sing a song. Dennis will do that. He'll stand up and say, let's sing a song. And in worship today, we call that the call to worship. But essentially, the psalmist is saying it's our responsibility to gather together in worship. And that's what we're doing just now. In this moment, you're not coming just to hear me preach. You're not coming just to hear uh, a a song sung by a couple that sang beautifully or, or hymns that we've sung together. That's a part of worship. What we're doing is we're calling ourselves together to worship God with other, with other believers, with one another. See, there's really two kinds of worship in scripture when you see it. There's the kind of worship like we're doing right now where you gather together in the assembly, the great assembly coming together. They would gather in Jerusalem at the, uh, the temple and they would walk up the steps of the temple and those who were eligible would go into the inner parts of the temple. But they would come together and they would unify. There was usually the reading of scripture. There was music. There was a sacrifice, an offering, if you will. And then later on as they began to develop, there was a teaching about what the word, what the scriptures said. They would come together. But you know what else there is? There's also another kind of worship that you and I perform. We can do it by ourselves, alone. How many of you had a time of personal worship today before you came to church? Or how many of you on a regular basis will uh, get by yourself, maybe at nighttime before you go to bed? could be on a break at work or in the middle of the day. Whatever is best for you. And you spend time alone with God. But you know what? That's still part of that first kind of worship. That's you directed towards God in words of praise. This second kind of worship is the way you live your life. That's worship. And so there's that first kind which is either together with other people Or by yourself, you're praising God. You're telling God, you are great. It's your superlative. And then there's a lifestyle of worship. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all to the glory of God. 
It's how you live your life. It's how you treat one another. It's when you come in contact with people and whether they treat you well or whether they treat you poorly, you reflect back the glory of God in your life. I wish I was always perfect, especially when someone's not treating me the way I want to get treated. Sometimes I embarrass myself as I sort of step outside my body and I go, ooh, what is he doing right now? Look at that jerk. I mean, he's not very nice. <laughs> and then I get back inside and go, you're right, I'm being terrible. I wish I could stop doing this. That's not glorifying and honoring to God. But what I want us to think about today is primarily, this is important, but I want us to think primarily of that honoring God as we gather together and worship. It's such an important part of our worship together. You can't grow as a Christian unless you gather with other believers to worship. I know there's lots of Christians out there. Who knows, there might even be some of you who are watching this on Facebook right now who think, oh, as long as I worship my, you know, by myself, as long as I pray, I'm okay. And you know what? I watch church service on Facebook. That's fine. It's not enough. We need each other. And here's the thing. If you're so good that you don't need us, you don't need the encouragement of the people around you, you don't need people around you keeping you accountable in your lifestyle so that you continue to honor and God, honor and glorify God the way you live, then you know what? We desperately need you here because you can bring us all up. But my thought is that if you're separating yourself from the body of Christ, you're very seldom ever really worshiping God on your own. It begins by gathering together in worship. That's why it is so important. That's why it's important for us to be here when we have the opportunity to be here. As a church, we will never be stronger than when we are gathered in worship. And here's the thing I think about, and I'm going to step on a few toes right now, so you might want to get your steel toe boots on. We gather for worship more than just Sunday mornings. And why is it so many of us don't think we need to gather with the other believers on Sunday night or on Wednesday night? I understand sometimes you have life. You know, you've got work or you've got a, a job or, or you've got a family emergency or a problem. But here's the thing. I, I just don't get this. Ever since I became a Christian, I started wanting to gather with other believers. I, the, what, that was one of the key differences in my life as a 10-year-old boy. Now, I'm not trying to puff myself up as something great. It's what the Holy Spirit put in me. But when I got saved and I felt like God changed my heart, I wanted to be with other believers and worship together. And so I started begging my family. At that time, we had gotten out of the habit of going to church other than Sunday morning. And I started begging my parents, can we go back tonight? Can we go on Wednesday night too? They were going on Wednesdays and on Sunday morning every week and a lot of Sunday nights, but they were seldom ever going. And so we were seldom ever going on Wednesday nights. I said, I want to go back. And so we started doing that as a habit. And again, I'm not patting myself on the back. You know what happens when you pat yourself on the back? You break your arm. Anyway, you don't want to promote yourself. This is what God put in me. And I hope that it's what you want. The thing is, we gather together. We'll never grow unless we're growing together. And when we grow together, what we have seen happening is that the Lord leads us to his throne and we see how great he is as we worship together 
and it inspires us to live the rest of our, our life. This worship over here, this honoring God and glorifying God by telling God how great he is and looking at him and, and looking spiritually into his eyes and seeing how wonderful he is inspires this worship over here where we can now see, let other people see Jesus in us. Moses in the Old Testament, he went into the, the tabernacle and worshiped and as he left, his face began to glow. And you know what? The same thing happens for us. As we leave worship, we gather back together. So we have to worship God with other believers. But it's not just enough to make it other believer focused. We also have to worship together towards God. That's the second part of this. We have to worship together towards God. As we come together, we think about this. The corporate worship that's done together with other people is good. We need that. But that corporate worship, corporate meaning all of us together, when we all come together, here's what happens. We can get too focused on each other and not focused enough on God. And so we need to make a concerted effort all the time to put God first, to glorify and honor God. And so we worship together towards God. He's the audience. He's the, the person that is, uh, it's almost as if all of us are up here on the stage and he's alone in the audience by himself. He's the one who's viewing it and seeing it. Sometimes a person, like I said before, will brag on somebody else. You know, they'll tell somebody else how great you are. And wouldn't it be nice if you could hear that yourself? Oh, let me tell you what so-and-so did for me. I'm telling you, this person, you know, they really helped me out and they did great things. And when I hear people say that kind of thing to me, sometimes, not all the time, sometimes I'll say, you know what, did you tell them? Did you let them know how much you appreciated what they did for you? The fact is we have to come together. We have to praise God together, but we have to make him the focus in the audience. Tell God how great he is. Because as you worship him, you're going to learn about how great he is. Now, I have adopted Clemson as my team. I know some of you Carolina fans are going, why, what can't, why can't you? You're living here. It's your state. But anyway, I just can't. It's the Kentucky thing. I'm sorry. But really, it's not anything to do with Clemson. Never been to Clemson. I've driven by it. I've never been on the campus. Never went to Clemson. Never even lived in South Carolina or Greenville. Daniel did, near there. And that's when I got to see it. You know what got me interested in Clemson football? Dabo Sweeney. He's a great guy. In fact, after their victory this week, he got up before the press and he said, here's my purpose. My purpose as a man is to honor and glorify God. He said that first. He talked about being a good husband and a good father to his family and his sons. He talked about uh, helping bring these young men that he's working in their lives, trying to uh, prepare them for life. But the first thing, the foundation of it all, he said, was to bring honor and glory to God. And when I learned that about Dabo Sweeney, I said, that's a man I want to support. If he goes to almost any other country in the world or any other uh, college in the world, I'll probably change and become a fan of that school. 
except for Alabama. Just can't do it if it's Alabama. And it's because of who he is. And when I learned about him, I've told other people about him. Well, here's the thing. When you're worshiping God and you're learning about God, you want to tell everybody about God. But it's our job to also tell him. Not because he needs it. God doesn't need a single thing from me. You know what? God would have been a whole lot better off. His son would have never had to die if you and I weren't even created. But he loved us and he sent his son to die for us. And as a result, we live now and our purpose is to live for him. And so we ought to tell him how great he is. You know why? Not because he needs it. Not because his psyche is built up. You know, it, hurts, it helps a person if I encourage someone and say, boy, Dennis, you did a great job leading music. It might make him feel better. Okay? You know, Reba, you played the, the uh, keyboard wonderfully today. It might make her feel better. But while you and I need it, God doesn't need that. So why does he want us to do it? Because it reminds us of how good he is. And we're more faithful and we're more loyal and we're more willing to sacrifice. We trust him. We're willing to take the leaps of faith that he calls us to take because I've seen how great he is and I know he loves me and he'll take care of me. So we worship together towards God. And the last one is we worship together about God. We worship together about God. Verse 9 of Psalm 40. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord. You yourself know. Notice how he says it positively and negatively. What I mean by that is, he says, I proclaimed the good news, but I also did not restrain my lips. The positive, I said it, but I didn't hold back. My greatest problem, my greatest fear is that when we gather in worship, we're so focused on the people around us that we restrain ourselves way too much. Because I don't want someone looking at me when I say amen. I don't want someone looking at me when I'm raising my hands up. They're going to think I'm some kind of weird, crazy, Baptocostal idiot. Who cares? Let them think it. He's not, she's not, the focus of your worship. God is. And when I say amen, he hears it. And he knows. And when I raise my hands, the symbol, you know what the symbolism of raising your hands? I remember as a kid, people would always raise their hands like this. Okay? It's always like their wave. Hey God, how you doing up there? That's not what it was meant to be. The way they raised their hands in the Old Testament, when it says somewhere in the Bible that you raise your hands to the heavens, it was a symbol of I know and I understand, God, that all my blessings fall down from you and I want to catch them from you. And that's the way they raised hands. So whenever you see me raise hand, that's usually what I'm doing, raising hands like that. It's okay if you want to raise hands like that because you feel called to do it. It's okay if you don't want to do it. As long as there's sincere worship going on inside your mind and your heart. It doesn't matter. And what other people think of you when you do it shouldn't matter. And I'm not going to say I've never been guilty of it. Because <laughs> I have. Every so often I've sort of thought, no one seems to be saying or doing anything here. Am I going to say amen even though I really feel like it? And then I don't. But when I'm open and letting the Lord work, I don't care what anybody thinks. You know what David did when the ark came home? They had lost the ark. 
The Philistines had stolen it. And when the Philistines had stolen it, God said, eh, eh, that don't work. And he zapped the Philistines. And they said, you can have this thing back. It's not worth it. And David brought it home after he had captured it away. And you know what he did? I'm not going to do it, I promise you. He stripped bare naked and danced in the streets. And people didn't like that too well. What was her name, Michael? Didn't like it too much, complained. And he said, I don't care. I wasn't dancing for you. I was dancing for the glory of God. It doesn't matter what other people think. It's what God thinks. But we do come together. And we do worship together. And it needs to be God-focused and God-centered. I'm worshiping God. And he says this. At the end he says, you yourself know. At the end of verse 10. It's because it's proclaimed to God. You yourself know. You know how I feel. Because it's between me and you, God. He also said, uh, he talked about he was proclaiming the good news of righteousness. This was not an arrogant act. He wasn't saying, oh, look how righteous I am. I'm so good. No, that's not it. Because as David knew and as Jesus said and as Paul wrote, no one is righteous. None of us. No one is good. Our righteousness comes from outside, not an internal, but an external source. And Paul said, all of us have sinned and fallen short of this glory of God that we're talking about. Our righteousness is given to us. It's an act of grace on the part of God. And so when I proclaim the good news of righteousness, I'm telling people, you know what God did for me? He cleaned me up. He made me whole. He made me as if I had never sinned before. Don't you want that? Wouldn't that be good for you? That would be good news of righteousness. Worship is about God and God alone. And I love for us to make that the heart of our worship, the sole purpose of our worship, the, the single unifying force, the, the inspiration for all that we do. When we make it about ourselves and the people around us, it's, it's not a good thing. Look at verse 10. In this verse, he then says, I have not hidden, and he begins to list five descriptions of God. Come back tonight. We're actually going to go in depth on those five descriptions. He says, I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. The righteousness of God, that's that, that faithfulness, that, or not that faithfulness, but rather that, that uh, goodness of God, his wonderful skill in right and wrong. He says, your faithfulness, it, it, we should think more about loyalty. He's faithful to us, like a good faithful dog, you know. Uh, your wife or your husband has been faithful to you. It's because they're loyal. Uh, his salvation, you know what salvation is. If you don't, you need to learn quick, because that's the key. Salvation is the recognition that with the sin in your life, God sent his son to die taking punishment that you and I deserved. And then he forgave us without any conditions. 
if we asked. And when he forgave us, he cleaned us up and put us on the right path. That's what salvation is all about. Talks about his loving kindness. Oh man, that's one of my favorite words in the Old Testament. Loving kindness. Because it's a mixture of love and his goodness. It's his love and his loyalty all put into one. And then truth. Truth is so important. Without the truth, none of us could trust in the rest of these promises or these descriptions. As I said, we're going to look at this a little closer tonight. You know, when I was a kid, I loved going to worship with the other kids at camp. And the reason is, it was fun to go worship with the other kids because it was kind of directed at me. And uh, I found something. You know, I've told you all my story of how I got saved in August 4th, 1980 at Lake Geneva Youth Camp. And I just had this whim. You know, I haven't ever even looked it up. And so I went and looked it up and I found that's a picture of the room where I made public my decision to trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That looks a lot smaller than it did when I was 10 years old. I'd got saved at the campfire the night before and the next morning when we had Bible study, I made it public. And we'd meet every year at that camp and we'd worship together. And it was always so passionate and so wonderful. And always on that last Friday morning of worship, I'd always worship in tears because here was my thought, I have to go home. <laughs> I don't want to. This is so much better here. But see, as a kid, I loved the worship because it was fun for me as a young person because it was directed at me. But maybe I made a little too much of the emotion of it. And not enough about the God in it. And as I've grown, I've realized, you know what? I can worship in any setting, in any place, at any time, with any music, with any people, no matter how I feel. Because it's about him and not about me. One year, though, when I was at that camp, they brought one of these experts in rock and roll music. What that meant, it wasn't that they were teaching us how to, you know, really shred a guitar. What they were teaching us is the evil sin of rock and roll. And that was big in the 80s. You know, rock, every rock and roll artist was a Satanist. All right? And they were all proclaiming Satan is king. Now, some of them were, okay? I'm not going to lie. But I remember them talking a lot about Black Sabbath. Okay? Black Sabbath. And yeah, they did some bad stuff. They were pretty horrible guys, some of them. But there was a member of Black Sabbath who had gotten away from his upbringing, his Christian faith. His name was Tony, Tony Lamy. I think that's how you say it. And he was one of the members. And uh, stunning his fans a couple of years ago, he wrote a song. It was in 2017. And it was a choral song inspired by Psalm 133. Psalm 133 verse 1 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers... Dwell in unity. And that psalm is about worshiping God together. That the beginning of unity is every one of us together recognizing who's most important in this world. And that's God. You want to solve the Democrats versus Republicans? Put them all on a path to focus on God. You want to get rid of all the religious differences and the bickering and the division in churches? Get their attention off themselves and put it on God. That's what worship is all about. And it's the only way that you can grow 
I'm not talking about growing our numbers as a church. That's good. We want to try to do that. I'm talking about growing our faithfulness to the Lord. It's making this time when we gather together for worship on Sunday morning at 11 a.m., Sunday night at 6 p.m., Wednesday night at 7 p.m., uh, in our various classes during Sunday school, that's a time of worship. In the discipleship groups that meet at 5 p.m. on Sunday nights. Anytime you have a group, we've got groups that are getting together. We're, we're having a group of, of people who want to learn to study the Bible together. are going to start doing so this week on Tuesday afternoons about 4.30 here at the church. You're welcome to come be a part of that. Uh, other people have them in their homes. and I mean, anytime you're gathering together, putting God the center of the worship. The result is, when he's the center of it, it just fills us up with the Spirit of God, and that just changes everything. Everything you do, every experience you have, every interaction, whether it's a good one or a bad one with another person, it totally changes it in a good way. So let's honor and worship the Lord. Thank you so much for listening to our sermons from High Peak. I'm Dr. Kevin Purcell, the pastor of High Peak Baptist Church. And if God has really spoken to you through this message, please get in touch with me. You can go over to highpeakchurch.com and look for a way to contact us. Or if you want, you can come directly to me at pastor at highpeakchurch.com. We're also on Facebook, searching for High Peak Church. We'd love to see you. We have our services every Sunday morning at 11 a.m., Sunday evening at 6 p.m. in our fellowship hall, and then also midweek service on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Please come and join us. We've got classes for all ages. God bless you, and thanks for listening.